Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are a day late in our typical order of episodes, but holidays week, holiday weeks get crazy. It is what it is. Football, we're having a game on Wednesday in the NFL, so everything's crazy, let alone our schedules. But let me bring in my co-host right now, Pat Boyle. What's good, brother? You're having a good uh, Tuesday here? Yes, sir. What's up, Petey? Two things real quick. The Browns are 8-3. and three. They have more wins than the Tampa Bay Bucks. And the New York Giants are atop the NFC East. Love it. It doesn't get, doesn't get much better than that, man. Count it. Uh, the Giants are on top of the NFC East. That's exciting. It's just with a caveat of Daniel Jones, of course, being injured. But if you watch the Browns and their success... They're proving you don't even need a quarterback that's that competent to win games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, look, you know, Baker Mayfield has certainly not been an MVP caliber quarterback. No. I'll give you that. He's been a lot better than Carson Wentz. But, um, yeah, dude, you got two of the best, uh, you know, two of the best uh, running backs in the league, the best running back core in the entire NFL. Honda. And sometimes that's all you need, man. Dude, it's beautiful. I, I love it. As a Nick Chubb fantasy owner and just a general Nick Chubb stockholder, I love it. That guy's awesome. And uh, the Browns have been good. Implies. He gives you what his name implies. It, that's it. Nothing else needs to be said about it except for when he decides to not score a go-ahead. Well, you know, it, it was a game-stealing touchdown anyway that would have not only helped me win my fantasy week, it would have uh, secured me another win in my gambling. So unless when he does that, the Chubb is but You secure. lost a fantasy week because of that No, well? I, I ended up winning anyway. Oh, I ended well, up winning that week anyway in, in the league. I have Nick Chubb, but it was closer than it needed to be. He did steal your money. Yes, it did, and it, I won't forget it. I won't forget it. But there's a, Pat Boyle, by the way. I don't do this enough. At Boyle, but the B is an eight. At how do you would you how would you say that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've still like thought about that over and over again. Like when we're talking about it, I would just say at Boyle, but the B is an eight. You say okay. at. Eight O Y L E. That works too. At a eight O Y L E. But that sounds like a whole not. At Boyle with an eight. There you go. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. He's a better follow than I because I don't tweet that much. Uh, I just can't. Busy, my- you you got to tweet from like. You got to tweet your account. You got to tweet the Subway Sports Talk. You got to Instagram the Subway Sports Talk. You're doing like six different platforms, two different accounts, man. It's it's exhausting. Trust me, I know it. Yeah, and then they all suffer. <laughs> None of them get enough attention. But no, Pat's actually an, a really good follow on Twitter. Seriously, give him a follow, especially if you have liked what you've heard on this podcast with me and Pat and then Mule and, and Coach Dell. Uh, definitely give him a follow because we all love his tweets. And if we like him and you like that the podcast, it's a match made in heaven. So hit him, hit him on Twitter and uh, see what he's working with, with not just football takes, basketball takes, baseball takes. Would you say, Pat, that baseball is still – I know at some point it was your number one sport. I feel like at this point it's it's slipped down to a 2-3 range and football is number one. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think it is, yeah. I is mean, that I, weird you know, to say? What would you say? Is that also weird to say? It is weird. Uh, you know, considering played in college – Broad started my first broadcasting gig was baseball. Um, yeah, I mean, just in the realm of betting, betting on it, football's better, football's easier. In the realm of being able to, you know, get after it and, and get a whole day where you're watching with your friends or you used to be watching with your friends pre COVID, you know, football is better, football is easier. And, you know, just when you're, when you're done with a long, hard week and Sunday rolls around, man, mm. there's nothing better to do than to just plot your ass in the couch and watch some football for seven. If you watch the entire Sunday night game, 11 hours. Oh yeah. Talk about it. So, Nick Chubb. Yeah. I'd say as of now, football is my favorite sport. I love that. Yeah. Now me, honestly, well, I, it's tough for me to say because I understand that football is like, it's like the most important sport and I adore it. I love it. I watch pretty much every game, no matter what, like, yes, I watched the whole Eagle Seahawks game last night for the most part. You know, maybe I was guy. doing some things around the house, but I am a hoops guy. I know you're a hoops guy as well. 
and becoming a bigger hoops guy, it feels like, by following your tweets and just talking to you over time. I feel like you're becoming a bigger hoops guy than you were at some point as well. Yeah, I'd say for most of, of high school and college, uh, I'm a Knicks fan, unfortunately. And, you know, yeah. it gives me an excuse that I haven't watched a lot of games. But I'd say overall, each year through high school and college, I probably only watched about 15 to 20 Knicks games. Last couple of years, that I've pumped that number up to about 35, 40. And, you know, I'm basically watching every primetime game throughout the week. Uh, you know, whether it be the, the Tuesday night TNT, the Thursday night TNT, um, and you know, Wednesday, ESPN, just, Friday, whatever, yeah. oh, whatever, whatever it may be. Well, you know, I'll Saturday usually, catch, the, I'll usually yeah, yeah, catch yeah. Tuesday through Thursday when it's basketball season. For sure. And that's even sooner than we could fathom mentally. I know I'm struggling to wrap my head around it. We did a Knicks episode last week. So, Pat, hold that thought until the end. I think we're, I'm going to utilize a, a last word segment to get your quick take on the Knicks. So we'll Got save it. that for later because this is, as always, a football episode here. Again, shout out to uh, to Dell and Mule. They have some stuff going on. All good, all good. Hopefully Chris Chris actually says, what does he say? He sounds like froggy right now. What's what's going on? He, he's got a little bit of a, of a, of a sore throat maybe. He's uh, COVID negative, thankfully, just regular sick. Uh, but he'll be back soon, I'm sure. And uh, we got Pete Pat, not a picks pod, but a Pete and Pat football pod uh, coming at you right now again, and we're going to go through a bunch of different stuff, including the most frustrating teams in the league, which it seems like there's plenty of them right now. We will also talk about the Giants, uh, and then we'll have a couple other discussions about maybe some of the, the best things that we've seen in today's NFL, and that obviously doesn't include the COVID situation and the Ravens and Steelers playing at some point, possibly like right after you listen to this episode uh, on Wednesday morning or something like that, the Steelers and Ravens will most likely be playing, I guess. I, I don't know. We shall see. Um, but Pat Boyle, actually, I think there's one place to start, and let's start off with the Giants. I think it's a, a good place to start be it based off of what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. Uh, now that the Giants are technically sitting in the, the first spot in the NFC East, there is a bit of a holdback, um, a bit of a caveat there with that excitement due to Daniel Jones' injury. Right now, he's listed as week-to-week, most likely not in this week. Uh, But to win this NFC East, it sounds silly, but every game is important at this point. So if you want to talk about the positives of the actual Giants team that we saw this past week or the ramifications of Daniel Jones, I'll let you have the floor. Uh, But what have you seen with the Giants now? Uh, I first and foremost, I think the, the biggest takeaway is you're seeing a defense that is continuing still to get better and better. They've solidified themselves. As an elite defense, yes, elite, the Giants defense, elite, absolutely. You cannot dispute that. Uh, I tweeted that on Sunday. I mean, you, you look, they, they got a takeaway every single time they needed it against the Bengals. Granted, again, I know Brandon Allen, the Bengals, no Burrow, no Mixon. You know, again, still the, it's still the NFL, man. We said it time and time again, you still got to show up. You still got to perform every Sunday because we see teams with two, three wins can beat teams with six, seven, eight wins every single week. So the fact that the Giants got a interception, a tremendous one too, from a guy like Nico Lalos, a Dartmouth guy Say who? who, yeah, exactly, who basically nobody knew uh, before on Sunday. And then you take a look, and they got fumble after fumble when they needed them. Uh, you know, they especially late in the game too, and the one to seal it after Cincinnati runs the punt back to midfield, and you're thinking, oh my God, the Giants. Giants are actually going to lose this game. They might lose this game. Um, but, no, you, you know, you look at you look at some of the guys like Bradbury, like like Martinez, who are continuing to have Pro Bowl-like seasons. Um, and then the running game, Wayne, you know, Wayne Train. Golden, Hell, yeah. Again, basically nearly eclipsing 100 yards. They're running the crap out of the ball. The offensive line, which was putrid to start the season, is now getting better and better to the point where you can, you know, somewhat rely on them. And they've stayed healthy. And again, I, I, I know it's the Bengals. I know they had to sweat it. I know that they're still only four and seven and that they haven't really had that signature win yet on the season. But in a year like 2020, we have to look at the positives, and that is that the Giants are now atop the NFC East. They're the best of the worst. Uh, so that is something to be had. And you look at the defense, top 10 in passing yards allowed per game. Uh, and, and in terms of, uh, you know, total defense in terms of how many points they allow. They're also in the top 10. So the defense has gotten better. And then we look at the caveat, Pete, like you said, Daniel Jones, the injury, the pulled hamstring, 
Uh, MRI, MRI came back on Tuesday morning. Joe Judge and them said they don't want to speculate. Uh, they don't know if he's going to play Sunday. Joe Judge said usually something like this would take a week. So I think it's pretty fair to say that he probably will not play on Sunday at Seattle. And at this point, if you're the Giants, you know, you've got that one game cushion. Technically, you know, you've got a little bit of a cushion. Um, now, we could see the Washington football team drop to the top of the NFC East after this week. We could see the Eagles, who have been abysmal. If they can somehow find a way to win a game this week, they could be back in first. Either way, I think it's fair to say this is a game the Giants probably weren't going to win, even with Daniel Jones. You know, they were going to have to perform at their A game again. And uh, it's looking like he's not going to play. So, you know, it's going to be a tough result on them for Sunday, basically, no matter what. But, you know, after that, again, we've seen how bad this division is. Um, and and I, I, you know what, I, I, I like Cole McCoy. He showed some poise. Um, you know, the quarterback's coach. He's a Jerry pro, Splinsky, man. Was, he's a pro. I mean, yeah, he's exactly. not special, but he's not going to, like, just blow. He's not going to go out there and be terrible. Like, he's going to go out there and be slightly below average. Like, that's just what he is. Exactly. And you, he could have went in there and he could have given that game away. Right. And they almost did. You know, he didn't throw a pick. He didn't fumble. He didn't really do anything terribly. He completed six of, uh, what, 10, 11 passes. You know, he, he did the, he, he managed that game so that, yeah, left it up to the defense. Uh, but, you know, this guy that quarterbacks coach Jerry Shaplinski was talking about him. He said, you know, he is ready. To, he, he was ready from day one. This guy is always ready. And not that he's rooting for an injury, but as soon as Daniel Jones took himself out of the game, he knew it was go time. And he works his ass off in practice. And that's not a guy that's going to, you know, you hope to lead your team, obviously, for the future. But uh, you throw him in there against Seattle on Sunday, I think he'll be up for the task. Again, I'm not saying the Giants are going to win. They 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 most likely won't, 99%. Uh, I would assume that's probably going to be a seven-and-a-half, eight-point spread. But overall, with the Giants, you, you can't be happier right now with how the defense is playing, um, with how Graham Gano is literally the MVP of the team. The guy's made 22 straight field goals. That's something that we see week in and week out, Pete. Teams struggle with the kickers. You see, yep. what, six, seven kickers get fired in the first three weeks. Graham Gano has literally been rock solid for this team. You know that in the big moments, he's going to deliver for you. Uh, the run games look good. The offensive line is improving. So literally this team is is rounding into form. You hope Jones is back in two Sundays from now. Um, right. Because, again, you're, you're fighting for a divisional title. And at one and seven, Giants fans would laugh at you if you said that. And now it's a legitimate – it's a legitimate chance the Giants are going to win this title. It's something to talk about. Now, they don't have the easiest schedule remaining. Uh, I'll pull that up in a second. But the one thing about Daniel Jones leaving, and, and you really realistically, you watched the Eagles play the Seahawks the other night. The Seahawks are great in in ways, right? They're 8-3 and three right now, so it's tough to say they're anything but great. But they're flawed, and they're, they're not winning games that you would expect them to win, you know, handily like that. The, the Eagles played them really tight, and their defense looked awesome. Now, who would have thought... Uh, the NFC East, if you want to pick the positives out, out of this division, it's the defense of the Giants, the Eagles, and the Red, and the football team. Those are the three positives in this division. But all three of those defenses are actually like pretty respectable, if not just borderline, you know, good or very good. Right? You just said the Giants' defense is elite. But the thing about Daniel Jones that really makes me worry. So not only is Daniel Jones the leading rusher on the Giants. But in this upcoming week against the Seahawks, he would be the leading rusher in the game, entering the game completely. He has over 400 yards rushing. That'd be the most on the Giants or the Seahawks. So that's clearly been such a big point to the Giants offense and to, you know, ease him into successful drives is him using his legs. If he's, you know, whether he's good to go, I guess, this week or not, whatever. But moving forward for the rest of this season, is he comfortable stretching it out? and getting outside the pocket and running for chunk plays like he has so many times this year, that's something that's going to worry me moving forward because if he's not fully comfortable, that's just more uh, of, of we're just asking more of him in the pocket, not moving around as much, more you know reliance on Wayne Gallman for how good he's been. It's not like we're going to give him 25, 30 touches a game like he's a Derrick Henry, obviously. So, for the outlook moving forward, it really does worry me that it's a hamstring injury because if you come back too soon, those things can linger. We've seen it in sports. If you haven't experienced it yourself, you've seen it at the pro level your whole life. These injuries can linger, and if he's not comfortable moving the ball with his legs, I start to get worried how he looks standing in the pocket and being forced to stand in there even longer than he already is. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, if he's uh, not nearly 100% by the time uh, next, you know, two Sundays from now rolls around against Arizona, because that's a very winnable game for them, Yep. then, then you really start to worry. Uh, because you lose against Seattle, you lose against Arizona, all of a sudden they're 4-9. and you'd, you'd think at least one of these other teams in the NFCs can win another game by then. And then you're coming down to the final three games against the Browns at the Ravens versus the Cowboys. So, and you need Jones absolutely for, for the last three. Um, and, you know, if you miss him against Arizona as well, then you really start to worry. Uh, but And the Arizona you know, again, game, too, is another game, you know, similarly to the Seahawks where you think off the jump, all right, the Giants really have no chance here. The, the Cardinals are way better. The Seahawks are way better. But we've seen both of these teams play tighter games than they should. Uh, we've seen the Cardinals just lose to the Patriots. Now, whether, um, you know, Kyler Murray's health was as big an issue as maybe some believed or not, they lost to the Patriots who have looked abysmal. They looked abysmal on offense again. Their defense obviously did what it needed to do. But you're telling me if the Patriots take down the Cardinals, the Giants wouldn't have a chance to be in that game. Uh, with Daniel Jones, of course, we'll see what Colt McCoy can do, I guess. But we don't want to look at this team and say, oh, well, they're not going to beat the Seahawks or Cardinals anyway. Just sit Daniel Jones out. It's going to be a really, really tough balance to say, Danny Jones, can you get back in? Can you win? Can you do what you need to do on the field comfortably without risking too much health issues to, to make a real playoff push? Because if you just say, ah, punt on the Seahawks, punt on the Cardinals, now you're looking at the Browns, um, Browns who went, the Ravens and the Cowboys, that's, that's tough too. Like there's not really an easy game on the schedule. The last one remaining was the Bengals, and that wasn't even easy. So on that outlook, it, it worries me a bit to say that this team is the favorite to win the NFC East. It really does. And as much as I think they might be the best team in the NFC East right now, the way this is laying out schedule-wise, it doesn't feel like they have the best chance right now. Yeah, and that's fair, Pete. And again, you know, that's something that Joe Judge is going to have a real, real tough decision to make uh, when it comes around the next Sunday. Uh, you hope that this doesn't linger. You hope he's, you know, 100% to go for Arizona. If he's not, though, you know, again, Judge has a real tough decision because you're year one as a head coach. Nobody expected you really to win the to win the title. Now you've been slapped as the favorites here as we head into December. And, you know, that's a lot of expectations for a guy that we've seen Joe Judge. He is a he's a hell of a competitor. And that is going to be somewhere he's going to have to put the future of Daniel Jones ahead of the team if it's really risking him going out there and getting injured again. Because the last thing you want is Jones to then maybe tear the hamstring, strain it again, then he's done for the rest of the year, and then you've you know virtually knocked yourself out of the divisional race, right. whereas they still would have a chance even at four and nine uh, if he doesn't play these next two games and then can come back the week after uh, against Cleveland. Right. So, uh, again, a lot of tough decisions. If you're the Giants, you know, you're a Giants fan, you're, you're uneasy. Uh, but, again, I think, as it has all year, the, the rest of the division being a slop show gives you hope. For sure. I mean, you look at the NFC. So right now, the 15th and 16th team in the NFC standings are the Eagles and the Cowboys, who are one or a half game out of first place in the division. So literally, if the Eagles win um, their next game and the Giants lose, say, right, just say that happens, the Eagles go from 15th in the NFC to fourth because the playoff seeding still lands as the division winner goes above the wild card winners, right? So they go from 15th to fourth with one win because they'd slot into that NFC East title. And, and, and that's what I don't get. I've, I've heard on a bunch of podcasts, it's like, ah, like who cares? The NFC East, whatever team makes it, does it even matter? Does it even matter? Like, yes, it does because you're getting a home playoff game. Whether, you know, whether you're, you know, four and, and uh, 12 as a division winner or you're 12 and four, it doesn't matter. You're getting a home playoff game, right? So, you're the Giants, you're the Eagles, you're the football team, you're the Cowboys. You're like, yeah, we want that. Because then guess what? Every team that has ever made the playoffs as a sub-500 team has actually won. Or at least the last two have. I forget if it was every single time. The last two teams that were under 500 that made the playoffs yep. won their first game. So yes, you come in, you get overlooked, and right now, just for argument's sake, uh, the Giants would slot in to play against the Rams, I think. Is that right? They're the fifth. They're the best wild card, right? So 
the Giants would get the best wild card is the worst. Yeah, you're division. right. So it would be the Rams, which a team they almost beat. The Rams are that whose offense certainly doesn't, uh, you know, right. gives you any give you any hope. The Rams, the Bucks, or the Cardinals for that matter, or the Vikings who are on the bubble, or the Niners who are, are nearby. Right, all those teams are beatable. So you're gonna act like ah, oh, it doesn't matter to win the NFC East. It's a bunch of garbage. No, it does matter because that, guess what? You win the NFC East and then you sneak by the Rams. Well, hell. You're you're a game away from the conference championship, bro. That's that's pretty sick to me. So I don't know. It's not like basketball where if you're the last one getting into the playoffs, you're you're guaranteeing yourself a a four or five game series before you ship on to Cabo for the summer. So it's not the same concept. It's very different. And hell, I mean, I hope the Giants are in it because that'll be exciting for New York uh, when it's basically been the Yankees and nothing, unless you're talking hockey for the past three or four years to be any you know sort of successful. But uh, yeah, that's the Giants' take, right? I guess any anyone else on the Giants' offense, like you think about. I mean, Slayton just put up a zero burger. If you have him in fantasy, that's that's horrendous. Uh, Sterling Shepard, though, I, I feel like we didn't say his name. Guy is just incredibly solid. I just want to throw that out there. Anyone else on the Giants that you wanted to just say their name because you think they deserve a little love? Uh, Evan Engram, because for the most part this year he's gotten shat on, uh, and, yeah. and with reason. <laughs> but you know, he showed you the potential. He finally. I wouldn't say finally, but he, you know, finally put together a full game worth of his potential, which is six catches for 129 yards um, on nine targets. And a big guy like that, dude, when he showed you how he can catch and get yards after the catch, his ability to catch and get on the run, uh, and just his sheer size, man, like that's that's somebody that could be a legit threat if he could realize his full potential. That gives you, I think, a lot of hope going forward for the future. And even Slayton with zero catches and how he's Oof. basically bottomed out now the last couple of weeks. That's a guy that, you know, wide receiver, uh, wide receiver coach Tyke Tolbert was talking about on Tuesday morning. And he goes, you know, that doesn't mean we're not, that doesn't mean he's falling out of our plans. That doesn't mean we don't have full belief that he could be a dangerous playmaker. It's just, we saw it was a, it was a day for Engram. It was a day for Shepard. Golden Tate's done well since his whole falling out with Joe judge. And you know, we, we, we've seen Darius Lane be able to be a deep threat as well this year. So I think you're feeling good about the receiving core as a whole. But, yeah, absolutely, Ingram. And then on the defensive side, Jabril Peppers, I think, continues to get better and better in small increments every week. You know, if he can keep keep himself under control, you see some plays where he overcommits. If he can, you know, mature a little bit more each week, I mean, that is, again, you feel real good about that secondary. Yeah, man. I was, I was uh, listening to a portion of the first half. Uh, on the radio, and I just felt like I heard Jabil Pepper's name like every play. It felt like you know, it just yep. when when you listen to sports on the radio, it's like a different, uh, a different thing that sticks with you. Like different points kind of stick with you. Obviously, you're kind of you, you have to see it for yourself. And if you're you know you're hearing all these names play right after if you're play, you're, you're kind of like, at wow. the justice, of course, of the play by play and then the analyst, which uh, you know the Giants team is fantastic and all, but um, Pepper's name was just brought up all the time. I'm like, holy hell, holy hell. And then I go back and I watch the highlights. I'm like, yeah, no, it makes sense. He guy was flying around, and that's what you always hoped uh, he could become at this level because his athleticism is obviously through the roof. But that's enough on the Giants. It's a good talk, good conversation to have. Uh, it, it does pause our Daniel Jones conversation, which me and you had a couple weeks back. That I've gotten some texts about, by the way, over the past uh, couple weeks. And I will silence those texts really quickly. Last thing on Daniel Jones, we'll move on. <laughs> Brian Baldinger, Baldy again tweeted it. Best rating as a quarterback in the entire NFL on deep balls, a.k.a. balls thrown 20 yards or more, Daniel Jones. That is shocking to me. Number one in the entire me. NFL. That's number shocking to NFL. me because Darius Slayton, it seems like they can't connect this year. And they, yep. couldn't, they couldn't not connect last year. They were on fire together. Also, no turnovers now in three straight games. Two and a half. And yes. you're four and two. In your last six games, so we there's like again it. the Daniel Jones haters. Uh, no, no, they they weren't haters. It was actually uh, I was a, a lot of Daniel Jones defenders. Do you know uh, you know you, you know Gibbs, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Gibbs texted me. He was like, "Bro, I gotta agree with my boy Patty Boyle." He's like, he was on your side. He wasn't he wasn't coming texting yeah, that's me. A guy, that's a guy with a sound mind. He wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I will agree with that. Uh, he wasn't texting me to be like, "Oh, yeah, team up on Pat." Like his take stunk. He was like, "Nah, dude, you guys got to revisit that, and you might have to apologize." Is more or less what he was saying. So, uh, a conversation I guess we'll have if Danny Jones gets back healthy, and we'll see what he does for the rest of the year. Anyway, Subway Sports Talk on to the most frustrating teams in the league, which is a plenty right now. 
And some of these teams are good, Pat. Some of these teams are not doing good, but we expect them to do better or like they should be better or, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's just a week-to-week thing, i.e., no one usually says, uh, for example, in IE form out loud, but I just did it. Um, you and I talked about the Colts. Was it last week or the week before? I forget. And we talked about how they're so frustrating and their offense looks great and then it looks terrible, but their defense is awesome. Maybe they're just awesome because their defense is actually really good, right? And then Derrick Henry says, wait, your defense is good? I couldn't tell. And and they get smoked and it was closer than it, than it actually was by the end of the score or the end score there, but... The Colts are a perfect example. So I, I won't say much more. We're going to talk about frustrating teams, which could mean a bunch of different things. Obviously, we'll, we'll describe each one. So, Pat, why don't you start us off? Give me one of your most frustrating teams in the league. Uh, to me, it's got to be the Rams. You know, uh, again, That was on both of our lists, obviously. Yep. And, again, this is a team where you, you look at what they do on a week-to-week basis. You see how dominant the defense is, top five in points allowed, top five in yards allowed. You know, they've got playmakers all over the side of the ball, arguably the best defensive player um, of our generation and Aaron Donald, who probably will never get enough credit with all the credit he does get, probably still will not get enough credit for how disruptive he is. Jalen Ramsey, you know, a lot of guys uh, in that linebacking core that a lot of people don't know about that do a tremendous job. And just as great as they are on defense and still with some of the weapons they have on offense, just their inability to show up um, sometimes in key moments. That's now they got swept by the 49ers. And you look at a 49ers team. Two years team, in a row. Yes, two years in a row. A 49ers team still without Brandon Ayuk, still without George Kittle, still without um, not Mostert. I'm blanking on the Mostert, other one. Mostert just came back. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mostert just came back. Wait, did you say um, – no, Debo's back too. Is that? Did you say him? Yeah, Debo Samuel's back. I'm I'm blanking on their who's their backup running back. Uh, McKinnon's not, back. Not, Col- Coleman's out still, but he should be back. It. Tevin Coleman. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, so, again, a 49ers team. They're banged up as hell. They're banged up as hell. Yeah, still depleted with injuries. Still without Bosa and Solomon for the year. Their best pass rushers. Uh, they just got Sherman back. But again, I, I digress on that. The fact that they came all the way back, like they got off to a slow start, then come all the way back, and then they still lose, and they lost to the Niners twice. The loss against the Dolphins, which, you know, granted, Dolphins are a good team, but the way they lost giving up, you know, three, basically only gave up 11 points to the Dolphins' offense, and they still lost by double digits. And, and then they show up when you expect them to least. I bet on yeah. Seattle to beat them a couple weeks ago. They beat Seattle. Then I was actually I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm back on the Rams. I was on them to beat the Buccaneers. They did. I was like, let's go. And then I actually stayed away from the Niners game, but yeah, I didn't think they would lose. And they, and they do. And, you know, a team still went to the Super Bowl two years ago with the genius that everybody claimed Sean McVay to be. The fact that they're still losing games like this. And, uh, you know, again, they win against the Buccaneers. Everybody goes, oh, now it's the Rams. Now the Rams maybe are the team to beat the NFCs. Boom, a week later, they let it get to their heads. They lose to the Niners. And their schedule, not easy by any stretch of the imagination. They still got to play the Cardinals twice. They still have to play Seattle again and New England so this is a team that I'm still not sold on. To me, they're the most frustrating in the NFL just because of how good they are on paper, and they just continuously fail to live up to those expectations. Well, I have a few notes there because they were also one of my teams, so we could spend a little more time uh, on them. They're, they're, I think they're the obvious choice for most frustrating, right? But this goes back to that Daniel Jones conversation that you and I had. I remember making a point about Jared Goff, about Jimmy Garoppolo, ironically, as well. And my point was about Daniel Jones – Yes, he may be getting better. Yes, he may be doing this. He may be doing that. Um, I was like, but if you think there's better options out there, you need to consider them because you don't want to put yourself in the position that the Rams just did with Jared Goff and the Niners did with Jimmy G and the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. Though Carson Wentz is a little bit weirder because he had an MVP-level season and then carried nobodies to the playoffs last year and now can't, like, read, you know... Uh, a Twilly, which is like a, a tight end option route. He's throwing to nobody <laughs> in, in the end zone. Like, so I don't know what happened with Carson Wentz, but the point is the frustration in J- with Jared Goff is now not just with fans. The frustration with Goff has now moved on to Sean McVay, a guy who's so positive. He spins everything. He makes you want to run through a wall. He makes everything sound good. Everything's a learning lesson. He got frustrated. And with his press conference this weekend, 
about Jared Goff, he called out like three or four different things that he does some from time to time that completely blow up drives. Oh, he doesn't protect the ball. He doesn't keep two hands on the ball. He he misses throws. He's doing that. Like, there was three or four different things he said about Jared Goff. And the rest of this team is ready to, to succeed. And they, are, have, they have all their eggs in one basket right now. They're paying a ton of dudes. They have a load of talent on offense. Maybe they're missing a, a premier running back, but they should have enough running back talent to where that shouldn't matter. The real problem here is Jared Goff. And when he plays against maybe a team like the Seahawks, who pass rush at that point uh, was minus Dunlap and Jamal Adams. That might have been his first game back, so we won't really count it. He looked fine. He looked comfortable. Um, you know, he, he played the, the the football team. He actually had one of his better games. But, like, they, I'm looking at their schedule right now, actually, which is why I just stumbled. They've played great defenses basically this entire year. Listen to this. The Giants in Week 4, as we know now, pretty good defense, followed by the football team with a solid defense. The Niners, despite injuries, good defense. Bears, we know it. Dolphins, we know it. Seahawks, eh, not so much. Bucks, one of the best defense in the league. And Niners, again, it's really a, a murderer's, murderer's row of defenses. Throw the Steelers in there, and they pretty much played all the best defenses they got in the league. That being said, like if Jared Goff can't put it together against better competition, why is he the third highest paid guy in the league? Now, I understand the quarterback situation with why salaries get inflated, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that right now. But was he worth the investment? Was the stability you got with Jared Goff worth that type of money, that type of salary, um, you know, that it took that it took up. Whereas when they made the first Super Bowl, you're talking about two years ago, Goff was just a, a, a fine, decent, good quarterback, and that's maybe all he ever was, maybe all he ever will be. And I like Goff a lot. I've seen him make incredible throws from time to time, but there's clearly a juice missing there, or clearly a, a quickness of decision making or comfortability that he doesn't quite have that is starting to rub off on the rest of the team when they can't beat a broken San Francisco 49ers team. I don't know. But their defense shows up seemingly every single week. Their receivers yep. show up pretty much every week. And I don't know what else happens other than the fact that their quarterback can't make plays against good defenses. Yeah, and I said, Goff, I expected him to really show up against the Bucks in a primetime game, and he did. And, you know, I was like, I think this is a game where he steps up. You know, against the the blitz-happy defense of Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers, it's like this is going to be a real test for him because he's been terrible against the blitz. He got the ball out of his hands quick all night long. He was tremendous. And then he goes back, he reverts to, you know, his inconsistencies against the Niners, loses a fumble, throws two picks, and uh, they lose a game they shouldn't have lost. So it's now back to having to prove yourself yet again for Goff. And he's going to go up against the Cardinals team on Sunday – in a primetime spot at four o'clock game on Fox where the Cardinals defense yeah, isn't that good, but they've got a real good secondary. They've got ball Hawks like Peterson and Buda Baker that can take the ball away. He's going to have to prove himself yet again. I know I haven't completely given up hope on golf, but just the all around letdown factor of this Rams team uh, to me, they're, they've arguably been the most frustrating. Yeah. I think they've definitely been the most frustrating to be honest. We'll get through, through another. Oh, actually there's one other candidate, especially after week 12 specifically that might top this list. Um, but yes, they're, they're up there, man. And it's tough. It goes back to the whole conversation of how do you want to build your team? Uh, how do you see yourself repeating what they did the year they went to the Super Bowl and paying Jared Goff, whatever 30 something million he's getting probably isn't, you know, top the list of things you want to do. It's something you more have to do. And I wish, I wish it wasn't such a jarring decision to have to move off quarterbacks. Like, when will a quarterback that, like, actually kind of matters or will most likely start, like, get traded? It never happens, and it makes sense that it doesn't. There's such a premium. I understand all that different stuff, but you're telling me if Sean McVay, you know, really had it his way that he wouldn't love to, you know, start fresh with another quarterback again? I know he loves golf and all, but, like, don't you think he would like to have a different toy? Where, where he's, like, kind of getting stuck right now. Yeah, all, I think everyone I loves, would want a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes. Of course, or, of course. But, you know, those don't those aren't, aren't easy to come by. And, you know, you've gotten yourself to a point where you can be a Super Bowl-caliber team again. They just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to show it consistently enough. Right. And you're right. You mentioned it's been a, a pretty tough schedule against some of the defenses they've gone up against, considering their defense has been a top-five one in the NFL. Right. You know, they're – they're going to get a little bit of relief when they play when they're able to play the Cardinals twice a defense that they should have some success throwing the short game 
um, a lot because that, you know, that's what they do well. A lot of those crossing routes, the, you know, plays sending your tight end in motion, a lot of quick, quick offense, throws across the middle, short, quick throws. That should benefit golf against the Cardinals. Um, Patriots defense, you know, probably going to be tough. They get, they get to play the Jets at home and they get to play Seattle on the road at defense. Obviously that, that has uh, struggled uh, for the most part this year. So yeah, they picked up recently, we, but they we should see golf be able to improve some of his numbers. Uh, but again, it just comes down to, uh, you know, can he do it consistently enough? Can they finish off this season four and one? Like we know they can and yeah. go 11 and five at worst 10 and six. And uh, realistically, because... can they establish a run game? Cause I feel like if you really think about it, the year they made it to the Super Bowl, Todd Gurley was just another level. He was, he, uh, he and that offensive line together, that running unit, if you will, was just awesome, right? And and then this this year, you know, one week it's Malcolm Brown. Then it was Daryl Henderson for a couple weeks. And then this week it was Cam Akers. But nonetheless, it's all frustrating, like, when you can't find consistency in the run game. I'm not saying it needs to be one guy. They just need to have success on the ground because that helps Goff immensely. Um, yeah, and, th- and they were able to hide the, the you know, the their best uh, lineman, which was Whitworth. They were able to hide that against Tampa Bay. You know, his, his presence was definitely missed against right. San Francisco because that line broke down a little bit. Um, so, you know, you, we, we have to factor that into the equation. But, you know, th- this team, if they can get a home playoff game, Pete, you know, they were 4-0 going into, going into Sunday at home. You know, they lost for the first time. But they're the team that's playing man. at home when them. they're comfortable in L.A., they should be able to get it done. So I'm not, I'm not off the Rams yet. But, again, they're, they've been frustrating so far because, by my standards, they probably should be 9-2. and two. Yeah, I agree. It's I agree. I mean, they should at least split with the Niners. Uh, Shanahan seems to have McVay's number a little bit, which is fine because I've said this on this podcast. I remember before they had even more injuries before Jimmy G was out for more time. I was like, dude, the 49ers still might be the best team in this division because Shanahan has his team reeling and doing a, a, a plethora of different stuff to make them successful every single week as they just showed again uh, against the Rams. But time to move on to my next team. And this one's about the team specifically, because there's actually a big positive swing to this, but I'm very frustrated with this organization. I'll say it like that. This organization is abysmal, and it makes me frustrated because Deshaun Watson, Pat, is freaking awesome. He's incredible. This guy is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and we can't appreciate it because the Texans are a dumpster fire. Now, granted, their schedule has been actually... Very hard this year. It's actually kind of like you look back and say, what the hell did the Texans do to get this schedule? They had, all right, off the jump. You ready for this? Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, off the jump. And now the Ravens obviously have stumbled, but they started off 5-1. and one. That's right out of the gate. Three games that Deshaun Watson is now underdogs in right off the jump of the season. That's incredibly tough um, way to start. They lost to the Vikings, which... You know, the Vikings are a decent team. It's not a bad, bad loss, but it wasn't a great one. Beat the Jaguars. Lost in overtime to the Titans, who are, again, a good team, a playoff team. Lost to the Packers. Do you hear this? Packers, Titans, Vikings, Steelers, Ravens, Chiefs. All, that's the, all the first six, seven weeks. Jaguars, again, they beat. Browns, Monsoon, 10-7. They don't have a run game anyway. They can't stop the run. Nothing Deshaun could do. They lose that one, too. Then they beat New England. They beat the Lions handily on Thanksgiving. Deshaun Watson throughout all of this has been freaking awesome. But specifically, in the last five games, Deshaun Watson has a passer rating of 120, which is eight points higher than his full season, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Will Fuller, who was suspended, was going bonkers. I don't know what happens when he's gone. But, Pat, the Texans are my most frustrating team because Bill O'Brien tried so hard that he ruined this franchise as a GM, not as a coach, as a GM. And I don't know how they get out. And that's why they're frustrating because every week they have a chance to win because number four can put the team on the back. And he's awesome. Let's go save Deshaun Watson and get him out of Houston because this team does not have their ish together. Yeah, Bill O'Brien really, really screwed them, especially giving away and the not as a coach. Hopkins. He wasn't a terrible coach. He was at least average, maybe like decent as a coach. As a GM, I'd say he was, I'd say he was average at best as a coach. Sure, I mean, especially, sure, but especially late down the stretch in, the, in that playoff game too last year, really, really but bad decisions. His coaching wasn't ruining them. Is yeah, my but point. You're, it wasn't ruining them. I'll give you that. It wasn't yeah. ruining them. It was average at best. But yes, the, when he put on the GM hat, he ruined them, and that trade sunk them uh, for this year. 
And, you know, even then, you're right about Deshaun Watson. I mean, the last couple of weeks, he has put up MVP-type numbers. He still has a quarterback rating just shy of 80 on the year. He has been, uh, you know, the elite quarterback, or I'd say at least in that top third tier that we thought he was. Uh, but, yeah, you consider that they've been banged up. Their secondary uh, it might be the worst in all of football. The defense can't cover everybody, anybody. Randall Cobb's been out the whole year. Will Fuller now is suspended. Stills has been out. So they're missing still some of their best weapons. And he's been able to put up some of these numbers with basically uh, just Brandon Cooks and Kiki Kuti, who I, I couldn't tell you who he was before the beginning of this year. Kiki, do you love me? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're frustrating. But, yeah, again, they, they weren't going to win those first three games. You know, they were playing all Super Bowl contender teams, Chiefs or even Steelers and, and- in the first three weeks. That put them behind the eight ball, and you know they. I, I think at that point, then they kind of quit uh, on Bill O'Brien. Right, and and it was a you know what the the game against the Vikings you could look at as like a um a linchpin game for them where it could have like really swung their season. Yep. At that point, they were both zero and three. The Vikings and the Texans were both zero and three. Both of those teams should be where the Vikings are now, probably right, which is like right out of the playoffs in contention. The Texans are, you know, they they now have four wins, so they're nearby. Um, but you know, still a, a big uphill battle. I just like I can't imagine being uh, Deshaun Watson and this seeing that schedule for the first time and just going, "Are you effing serious?" Like we get these three. Why can't we? You know, if, if those games are spread out, think about how differently we'd feel about it. You know, if they saw the Ravens last week or two weeks ago or or Wednesday, December 2nd, <laughs> um, they, they would have a completely different outlook on this season. But they've played a murderer's row of a schedule. Like, even their their easier games uh, are like the Patriots and the Browns, and those are never easy games. But, yeah, that's it. I don't know. that, And that's a weird one because, like, usually a frustrating team is somebody who has aspirations. Uh, for like championship or like real playoff contender, this one was more of like Deshaun Watson's so good that it's effed up that he's in this situation. Is how I feel. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, what what's your next one, Pat? Uh, if I just had to throw another team in there, I think it would be the Cardinals. Um, you know, again, that's a team that also kind of lifted expectations for themselves uh, by starting out the year with two straight wins, beating the Niners in Week One before they lost everybody. They followed it up with a convincing win against Washington, and you know, people forget when we're this deep in the season, but then they lost back-to-back games against the Detroit Lions were terrible and are now without a coach and a GM. And they lost to Carolina. Um, You know, it was a decent squad, but you know, then they backed it up, beat the Jets, beat the Cowboys, beat the Seahawks in that thriller Sunday night football game. And then again, since then they've lost three of four uh, granted to pretty all good teams, Dolphins, Seahawks, Patriots, but you know, a game that one week, you you know, Kyler Murray looks like he could be the, the MVP next year. And the offense is incredible with with Hopkins and Kirk and the defense has uh, ball hawks. And then the next week, you know, they 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 give up, you know, a ton of points to the Miami Dolphins, whose offense isn't tremendous by any stretch. And, and then they lose two games back to back to Seattle and, and New England, where they just look completely, you know, uh, useless on offense. So. To me, they would they would be the next fr- uh, my most next frustrating team. One hundred percent. It's just like there's just some teams, and I'm I'm looking at my next one here, and it's just like uh, fantasy always comes to mind, especially. I'm thinking about Derek Carr right now. There are some teams that have a floor, right? That it's like the Cardinals, in theory, like you were just describing, like they have a ceiling that's pretty high, right? They can beat good teams. But it seems like they don't have a floor now. Like they can lose to not good teams, and that's not—that means you're not that good. So you're you you're just you're a boomer bust. You're like a deep threat in and of itself. And the Raiders are a team that, based off their style of play, we thought had a floor. We thought because they have run the ball so good, uh, Trent Dilfer describes them as like whatever he says, like something like gloriously boring or something like that, spectacularly boring because they just play a solid, sound way. Uh, running the ball, keeping Derek Carr to you know minimal craziness, but he's still making plays. We learned this week after they put up six points against the Falcons, who are Swiss cheese typically on defense, that maybe the Raiders don't have a floor either, and their floor is getting beat by not good teams. 
And you look at the Cardinals with a young quarterback in Kyler Murray, maybe we got a little carried away. We need to let them grow. We need to let this roster get a little bit better. The Raiders are a team now where you just don't know what you're going to get, and that's damn frustrating. You can't put up two incredible performances against the best team in the league in the Chiefs where you win one, you lose a tight one, and it's a, it's a good run. It's a good matchup for an in-division uh, rival against the best team in the league, and then throw that performance against the Falcons. That shows a team that doesn't have you know, the best head on their shoulders because they got two up for the big games and they got let down for a game they thought they were going to walk to. And that leads to a frustrating team. And I feel bad for you, son, if you let, if you played Derek Carr as your fantasy quarterback this week because uh, he turned it over a bunch. <laughs> it was ugly. Yeah, I know a bunch. I know a, a lot of guys actually who did that. Um, and I, for me personally, I, you know, I, I kind of saw this coming. And I, I was I was up on Atlanta this entire week to win this game. I didn't think obviously they'd win it by 37 points, but I, I think the way they've played the Chiefs so well both times they played them made everybody think they were a much better team than they are, and made everybody think Derek Carr is a much better quarterback than he is. Now, when you look back at the schedule, they've got some pretty good wins. They beat the Saints early on in the year on Monday Night Football. They beat the Chiefs. They they beat the Browns in a in a tough weather game on the road in Cleveland. They beat the Chargers, had to come back and beat the Chargers. And then they blow out the Broncos. And again, they play the Chiefs tough. So, you know, you think they're a good team, but I, I think uh, they, they just, they match up well with a, with a decent amount of teams when they can throw the ball deep. Um, and when they go up against, uh, you know, teams that are kind of similar to them or teams that can neutralize, you know, their ability to, to throw the ball to guys like Ruggs and Aguilar and Waller, you know, they can get dominated. And we saw it on Sunday. And uh, I, for me, I don't know what it was. I just personally didn't like this Vegas team, and uh, they 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 gave you they showed you why. And maybe it was because, you know, you certain teams. Yeah, the rosters change, and from a betting standpoint, you try not to fall into this trap. But certain teams have storylines, and we saw the the Raiders do this exact same thing last year. Mm-hmm. They were competing for a spot. You remember Week Twelve? They went to New York. The New York Jets handed them a thirty-four-three loss last year. Which is why it's so funny the, that they're they playing the Jets did the this exact week. Exact same thing. <laughs> Well, they're playing, they're playing the Jets, the Jets now in Week 13. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, can we say that this is going to be a, a chance for the Jets to win again? I don't think we're going to be ready to say that exactly. Uh, they're on the bubble, though. They're they're currently ninth. They're 6-5. and five. The Ravens haven't played their Week 12 matchup yet. And, and and this is where it's time for the for the Vegas Raiders to show us what they are. Are they a team that just gets up to play big games? Or are they a team that are going to compete with the Colts next week in Week 14? Like, assuming they beat the Jets, right? Which I don't want to just assume now. Don't want to just assume that. Because I've been saying this all along, the the likelihood of the Jets going 0-16, though it seems like guaranteed at this point, going 0-16 is really hard. It's like going 0-5 if you go five bets in a week. It's hard to get all five wrong, too. And it looks like the Jets are absolutely helpless, but like maybe they get it together for one game. It's possible, right? So I don't want to just give the win to the Raiders, though. It's obviously incredibly likely. They need to compete with the Colts, Chargers, and Dolphins. If they, especially against the Chargers, if they lose that game in division and go split with the Chargers, you're looking at a team where it's like, okay, we got real excited about some wins, but you guys are a 500 team and and you're showing it. You're showing it every other week. Maybe not every week you're showing it, but you're a 500 team. And until uh, they get some of those things ironed out, their energy may be ironed out. I don't know what it is. We cannot look at them as a, a true playoff contender, despite some of the things we liked about them. Um, Patty Boyle, anything else left on frustrating teams? Maybe just like an honorable mention, maybe something with your own team that you're just frustrated with that you want to vent out. Is that, is there something there? Maybe I was almost frustrated with how the Browns gave that game away against Jacksonville, but uh, Hey, you know, win is a win is a win, man. And they, uh, they certainly let Mike Glennon do a lot more than he should have. And Stefanski <laughs> going forward on that fourth down where they could have kicked a field goal and gone up by 11. Did not like that at all. Uh, but they hung on, and you know, I I've been I've been trying to keep it low key about the Browns because they are eight and three. They don't really have a ton of huge wins. They beat the Colts. Other than that, they haven't beaten a lot of good teams. They're going to get a real real test on Sunday with Tennessee. I'm trying to contain my excitement until then. If they can beat Tennessee, I'm going to blow the doors off, and I'm going to be all in on the Brownies this year. Uh, but you know, if they go and fall flat on their faces like they have against Baltimore and Pittsburgh this year, then you got to reel it all the way back in. So. 
right now it's uh I'm staying quiet on the western front with the browns i feel that I, I think you're doing it right you're doing it right because you're not like a fan who's like oh we're winning we find a way we're we're the team and destiny Blah. i don't know you're not doing any of that garbage you're just saying no. like listen we're doing what we haven't been able to do i'm taking these words from you from uh, a week or two ago we're doing what we haven't been able to do in years is which find find a way to win games no matter what it takes and that is something to hang your hat on 100%. The playoff odds are looking great for the Browns, which is awesome. Like, that is, it doesn't matter who you beat. It doesn't matter how you beat them, a la NFC East. If you make the playoffs, that's freaking awesome. So good for the Brownies, but it's time for them to show up. And the Titans are a team where we're talking about the run attack of the, of the Browns and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt going ham. We're looking at King Henry just getting going, which we talked about. Um, a week or two ago saying, you know how people like to say he's a great second-half runner in games? And I was like, well, he's also a great second-half runner in seasons. The whole second half of seasons, he goes ham, and that's exactly what he's been doing. So if the Browns can slow down Henry and beat the Titans, we look at this team and say, okay, they can play with anybody pretty much. Pretty much, right? Pretty much. So that's good. That's good right there. Uh, are you happy that your boy Juice Jarvis Landry finally broke 100 yards this season? Yes. <laughs> Yes, so it's been a long time coming. He was able to do it. Um, but, again, uh, dude, they run the ball 200 yards every Sunday. That's all that matters. Hell, yeah. Give it to Chubb. Give it to Hunt. Let them eat, man. Keep churning. Keep churning, Chubby. I love you. Um, all right. Let's talk about – let's talk about on the flip side of frustrating, even though these teams can also be frustrating, just some teams that uh, – they'll just pick one each that we really like now coming into the second half of the season where – you know, they may be a mid-pack or they may be, you know, a, a just a, you know, four through seven seed in the playoffs. I don't know. But a team that we look at now that we have 12 weeks under the books and we can say they got some juice and I don't want to see them in the playoffs. I want nothing to do with this quarterback or this defense or this run game in the playoffs because they may not be the best team in the league, but goddamn, can they beat anyone? So, Patty Boyle, who do you like in that category? Yeah, um, I, I think you, you know, you hit it on the head with Tennessee. So if you want to expand upon that, I will let you go there. Um, but I think, you know, in, in my thinking, a team that when we've seen them at their best, damn it, they've been impressive, man. And I, I think I think that's Green Bay. You know, yeah. I think that's a team that hasn't been healthy for most of this year. You know, we, 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 we they've always basically always been known for the last few years as a team where – they need to put up a lot of offense in order to win because the defense hasn't been that great. And we saw last year they changed the dynamic on that. Was Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, with the with their secondary that has gotten better, and you know the ability to get to the quarterback. Now you add on the fact that you know this team has developed some stud receivers with Lazard, with Marquez Valdez Scantling, with Big Bobby Tunyon, um, and then of course Devontae Adams is an Love absolute game breaker every time he gets into into, into space. And Rodgers, I said it from the beginning of the year. That's a guy that I thought could win the MVP. I still He still has a lot left to prove. And I think when Green Bay's rolling with the offense like they did on, on Sunday night, let's not forget, as bad as the Bears team is, their defense is still tremendous. They put up, they hung 41 on them in three quarters. And when their defense is getting to the quarterback, uh, you know, I think they can beat anybody. And, and I think they can run that all the way to a Super Bowl. That's a team that if, if they're hot, they're, they're going to be playing they're going to be playing for uh, the Lombardi Trophy, man. I love this because it's exactly what Aaron Rodgers said to us at the, you know, I guess he said it probably in the offseason at some point. Uh, or maybe after Jordan Love was drafted, he started getting peppered with all these questions about where the team is at and how he feels about having a young guy come in and all this different stuff, right? So he said, well, you know, I look at this team as a team that was one game away from the Super Bowl last year. You know, you guys may not think so, but, I look at a team that was 13-3 and three and one game from the Super Bowl, no matter how that one game against the Niners went, where they got beat pretty good. And they're there again, dude. They're right there again. Listen to their schedule for the rest of the season. Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Titans, Bears. If things go okay for the Packers, okay, they should win four of those games out of the five. You're looking at a team that could easily be you know, 13-3 and three again if they win out, which they could win every game moving forward. But say they lose one, they slip up, that's a 12-win team. They're looking great in the playoffs. The real test, though, is the team we were just talking about. When they go up against the Titans, that's the type of team where they struggled. 
physical. Teams that not just have Derrick Henry, who's a super physical player as a running back, but A.J. Brown, who seems to not be able to get tackled. So, you know, I don't care what they do against the Eagles. They should win. They'll probably crush them. Uh, maybe, you know, good to see them against that pass rush, what Aaron Rodgers does there. Lions, they should beat. Panthers, they should beat. We just saw them demolish the Bears. They could do it again in the last week of the season. Maybe they don't even have to. I don't know. But that Titans game in Week 16, if all the, if both of those teams are playing for something still, which they still could be for, you know, home field and uh, maybe a bye, who knows what, that's the game I'm targeting, saying, hey, can you play with one of the toughest teams in the league in the Titans with Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, et cetera? That's the test for me. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a good one, man. That would be a, as if you're a fan of WWE, WWF, that'd be a slobber knocker. <laughs> it would. It, yeah, like, I don't want, I'm going to pick a different team but the Titans, but I'll, I'll just get on them for a second. I need to just say this about AJ Brown because he's just, he's my guy. He's been my guy. We did draft podcast two years ago about that draft. That wide receiver class was really good. Uh, DK Metcalf has now separated himself a bit from the pack, or at least in the public eye. But it is rude. It is straight up rude to not acknowledge AJ Brown, who was a better receiver in college at the same college as DK Metcalf, didn't go to a team with Russell Wilson and has still put up incredible numbers. I think they're tied for the lead, uh, the lead in touchdowns from that rookie class on, uh, for receivers. So they're both crushing it. But A.J. Brown, dude, I am amazed by his talent like three, four times a game. He has great hands. He's so, like somehow, some way impossible to tackle. I love watching that guy. And he just adds the Derrick Henry element of being a bulldozer to that wide receiver core which is pretty solid around uh, all around, and uh, that team definitely scares me. But in regards to my other team that I'm saying ain't nobody want to see in the playoffs, this might shock you. I think it's the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills have had a weird season, and Josh Allen's had a kind of a weird season. He's had a stretch where he was the MVP candidate. We had a stretch where they lost some weird games. But if you look at their schedule, they only really lost to pretty good teams. And uh, the schedule's loading up for me right now, so I can remember exactly. But this offense with Josh Allen, when he's rolling, and Diggs is rolling, and Cole Beasley is getting big, big catches, they're dangerous. And John Brown's healthy? They're really dangerous. Their defense is starting to come around. They've lost in this season to the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Cardinals, all teams who are good. The Bills, to me, with Josh Allen being tough, uh, a runner uh, himself, they're dangerous, and I don't want to see none of them in the playoffs, especially in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, that offense has been scary good, dude. Him and Diggs, that's that's a team that I thought of, too. I, I would I would probably put them right up on that list as well. They are, they're, again, it's a team where with a secondary, too. They can force turnovers. You know, you don't need to rely on just the offense. I believe, um, to add to that, I heard something uh, the other day they have the most turnovers in the fourth quarter that they've created, that they've created, not offensively. Defensively, they've forced the most turnovers in the fourth quarter in the league, uh, and that's a recipe for success. Because if your offense is keeping you in games and your defense seems to get better as the game goes on, that's how you win games. That's how you sneak up on somebody like the Steelers, like the Titans, like the Chiefs. But to say that they're like a sleeping giant is rude because they're 8-3 and three and they're ahead of their division. But you look at their schedule, um, they got the Niners, Steelers, Broncos, Pats, and Dolphins, uh, a, a handful of winnable games there. You could see them winning three out of three out of five, getting to 11 wins, and being in a place where maybe they can finally figure out who their lead running back is or how exactly to use them or get them both healthy. And all of a sudden, that offense looks even better. And if that defense does continue to get better, as McDermott, Sean McDermott, seems to be one of those coaches to put out one of the better game plans every week, I, I'm just saying. If you're, if you're one of these NFC West teams that we've talked about all year, like the Cardinals in the playoffs, or you're the Colts in the playoffs, you don't want none of that. You don't want none of that. You're the Browns. <laughs> if you're the Browns, dude, I, I mean, I'm loving watching the Browns right now. They're, they're finding ways to win, but you see that offense and you go, shit, how are we going to keep up with that? How are we, <laughs> we going to do it? And then Baker throws a pick and it's over. I don't know. So the Bills are scaring me a little bit if I'm a love, competitor. I shitting on Baker. Dude, he hasn't been good this year. <laughs> What do you want me to say? I'm not shitting no on him. Comment. I'm not going to come on. I don't want to get into it. I'm not I'm not saying he he's he's bad. I'm just saying he hasn't been good this year. Can you say he's been good this year or he's just been he, good he enough? He hasn't been he hasn't been great. 
I don't know in the history how many teams you that are eight and three you can say you know their, their quarterback's bad. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying he hasn't been good. He hasn't okay. been the reason they're winning. He's just the no, reason they're not losing. Again, I'm not. I'm not disputing you on that. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm a realist. So I'm just saying you go. You, if you're as a Brown, show, he needs to show me some in these final couple. He needs to show me a little bit more. As a Browns fan, you go against a team that can put forty up like that. You're nervous. You're nervous. It's a four and a half point spread, and you're not looking forward to it. And you're just nervous as a fan. I'm just saying. And that's who they're actually slotted to play right now, by the way, in the playoffs. So we'll see what what breaks out with the standings there. All right, Patty Boyle, Subway Sports Talk. Do we have anything else? What else do we want to get to? Is that it? We want to say we want to talk about best units, maybe best offense, best defense. I don't know. Chiefs, best offense. I feel like they're toying with us. You know what? I actually was going to add as an honorable mention to frustration teams is the Chiefs from a gambling standpoint. Because you, you cannot, cannot bet against them. It feels absolutely no. insane to bet against them. Yet, I bet on them this week, and I felt great about it. I almost chalked it up as a win, and I was like, this is a fantastic. They're they're crushing the, the Bucks. Um, Tyreek Hill has 5,000 yards in the first quarter. This is amazing. This team's unstoppable, as we thought. And then they, they don't cover. Uh, that's frustrating. Because how yeah. can you ever bet against them? You can't. You can't. Not logically, but uh, no, I think I think we can wrap here with uh, with the, with the next comment, like you said. There we go, fantastic. All right, so Subway Sports Talk, Pete County, Pat Boyle. You know what it is. You've been listening for an hour. You know who we are. Hopefully, uh, hit us on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk TLK at Boyle Boyle with an eight. Uh, also on Instagram, Subway Sports Talk. Uh, we got basketball stuff coming up for real, for real, because camp is starting this week. Uh, preseason games are like 10 days away, I believe, I'm not mistaken. So that's exciting. So Pat Boyle, I don't know if you heard Alec and I talk about the Knicks, but if not, I won't even taint you with what we were talking about. I'll let you have the floor. Give me give me a, a two-minutes Knicks take or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, and again, you, you got the basketball pod. Um, I just want to say this. I don't want to get too excited for this year because I know this team's not ready to make a playoff. Uh, maybe if they overperform, either way, they're not ready to make any real noise. But if you can get improvement from RJ, if we, if Obi becomes the rookie we think he is, and that's one of the best rookies in that class, which obviously he's projected to be, he was a top, top five projected pick. And if Mitch can improve down low as the big man, and you and you get Neil Akina to play like who he is and that is a good lockdown defender doesn't try to do too much if he plays like a good lockdown defender and you get a good season out of rj you get ob to be a great have a great rookie season uh, i think there's a lot of reason to be excited about this Knicks team because you got signings like mkg kid gilchrist austin rivers there's a and, and again kevin knox kevin knox has been so forgotten if you guys guys do just improve under thibodeau there's a lot of excitement to be had for the future that's all i want to say about the Knicks to finish the show and that's well said. And it's the right way to look at it. I was listening to uh, the mismatch, the uh, Ringer NBA show with Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor. And uh, there's a historic thing going between them over the past like four years of um, Kevin O'Connor saying the Knicks need to, you know, lose and tank and, and that's okay as long as they're developing. And I agree with that sentiment greatly. And Vernon's going off like, how can you say that they're doing anything right? This team's been abysmal for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And Kevin made the point, and I, I made it with Alec um, on our pod last week, and it's just like you can't just keep saying they sucked for 20 years. Oh, they're doing nothing different. They are doing things different. First and foremost, you can't say they've been actively tanking for the past even five years, let alone 10 years, because they haven't been actively been tanking. They've been accidentally tanking because they stink. They haven't been purposely saying we're leaning into the young guys, trying to develop, Player development, player development, player development. And if we stink, we stink. But we're trying to be good. And that's how you tank properly. You try to be good, but your team is just not good enough yet, which is okay. The Knicks, as they're constituted currently right now, should be a top five pick next year or top five pick odds easily. And that's okay because they can still play a bunch of positive basketball games, win some games they're not supposed to, be in some games they're not supposed to be in, and see that growth from RJ, from Mitch, et cetera, like you just outlined, and and still be in that top five pick odds, which is where you need to be. Because I I asked this question, if you were upset with the Knicks offseason, that they're not going to be competitive enough, or if you're delusional to think they're going to be competitive, 
What else could they have done or what should they have done that's different from what they did? Sure, you can say, ah, Austin Rivers, Alec Burks, they're going to take minutes from our young guys. I agree. That's going to be an issue. I'm very interested to see how the how the minutes break out and what Tibbs does with the rotations. That's definitely a worry point for me. But if you look around the league at these other dudes, like would the Knicks have benefited of, for trading for Robert Covington? No, I wouldn't have done nothing for the Knicks. Would it have benefited the Knicks to give Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, $19 million a year for the next four? No, and I love Bogdan Bogdanovich, but he's not the type of player to, to lift a franchise. If you trade for Russell Westbrook, if you trade for Gordon Hayward, these are not things that are built-in long-term success pieces. So what you do is you go with the guys you got, you see what they got, and you move off the ones who suck, you keep the ones who are good, you trade your uh, free agent signings like Austin Rivers for a late first or a second-round pick if a, if a contender wants them, and you keep it moving, you keep it positive. You try to make the team look like a legitimate team where, you know, people go in to play the Knicks at the Garden this year and they don't say, oh, we're going to win by 30. Yeah, easy night. As long as you don't have that, you're going in the right direction. And yep. I think they're there this year where there's competitive players who compete and you learn who deserves to be there and who's a part of this future and who's not. And, and yep. that's a win. There's reasons to watch the Knicks this year, and it's incremental gains. It's small incremental gains. They're going to stink. They're only going to be better than maybe one or two teams in the East, one or two teams in the West, and that's it, and that's okay. I'm ready. I'm ready for Subway Sports Talk podcast once the NBA season starts, man. But this is a great show as always. Yeah, bro. That was last words. We'll count that as last words. My last words will, though, just to wrap it up, uh, apologies to the people who have been following Pat Boyle's picks over the past four weeks because we did not do a picks pod this week because of Thanksgiving. It was just it was impossible for us to find a time to record it, uh, get it out on time. So we didn't do one, but I apologize because, Pat Boyle, you're on fire, son. You're on fire, son. A little bit. We'll, we'll, get the, we'll get the picks pod out on Friday. We'll see what we do then. That's right. So we'll be back with picks this week. This is a great episode. Pat, as always, thank you. Uh, and we'll be back. Subway Sports Talk, baby. If you like what you've been hearing, go to the Apple Podcast app. Do a little subscribe rate review situation. You know what to do. Click review. Say, these guys are great and really cute, and I like them. And then hit five stars. And that's all you have to do. It takes like 30 seconds. So appreciate you. I hope you guys had a safe Thanksgiving and whatnot. We'll be back with basketball this week, football and basketball next week, and a baseball pod at some point once some of these things start to actually happen. Uh, with the so-called hot stove. One of my biggest pet peeves is that people still call baseball offseason hot stove because it's lukewarm at best. It's like an electric burner that takes eight minutes to heat up, you know, a cu- uh, an egg. That's what that's what the MLB for offseason is nowadays. <laughs> or then all of a sudden it gets really hot for one second. You burn yourself. You got to shut it off. Anyways, so much sports talk. Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle, thank you so much. I'm done talking now. Have a great day, everybody. Cheers.